Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of The London Circle. Today we'll be discussing domestic abuse and how widespread it is and what kind of manifestations it takes, not only throughout society but particularly throughout the Muslim community. With me will be Huda Jawad, a long-term campaigner against domestic abuse, as well as Sheikh Shemsul Duha, director of Ibrahim College. Enjoy. You know, when, when we talk about uh, uh, domestic either violence or abuse or harassment or the such, it's, um, it's one of the issues that was always there. I mean, I, I, I think I'd be, I wouldn't be wrong if I said that it's been there since there were families, since uh, there were couples who uh, established a life or established a household. It's really not come to prominence in terms of addressing it as an issue that affects the dynamics of human relationships, starting from the core unit, which is the family itself. Some could even say that actually it starts before that, you know, between parents and children. So when in, in today's world of uh, highlighting, you know, mental issues and uh, mental health and all these aspects, when it's brought to the fore, we come to realize to a large extent how widespread this issue is, not only within society, but also within our own community as a, as a, as a Muslim, you know, third, fourth generation uh, immigrants. Um, so it's uh, you know it's something that's that's quite uh, it's quite bewildering in a sense, quite uh, enlightening in a sense, but quite quite worrying I have to say. Well, I think with regards to the experience of domestic abuse, it's on a continuum of violence against women and girls generally. Specific, I mean, it affects men as well, but the percentages tend to be overwhelmingly aimed at women or the survivors or victims, as you may wish to call them. Um, but, but you know, if we the statistics around the world carried out by the UN, carried out by nation states, is one in three women will experience some form of abuse throughout her lifetime. And that's huge. One like, in three. One in three women. So in any gathering that you may have in a, you know, a home, a dinner party, a mosque congregation, they will have in that room, there'll be one in three women who have experienced some form of violence. And domestic abuse is the most sort of common, unfortunately. What, I mean, when so that we understand the terms that we're, we're mentioning. First of all, uh, when you say domestic, you mean within a family context. So basically, the perpetrator uh, and the victim know each other. Is yes. that what, what we mean? Yes, is that intimate setting. So a, a, a family unit, it could be, it could be between um, some very, very often, unfortunately, it's um, older children targeting parents, particularly mothers, or it could be with between a husband and wife or partners, it could be within, you know, parents, uh, generally, one parent kind of controlling the household and um, sort of impacting the children. And, and Shams, I mean, the people that come to you as an imam, uh, the community leader, um, I mean, do you, do you get a, an idea of how deep this runs, how wide this runs? In the community, there are two problems of abuse and two sets of victims. Um, so women, as Mr. Hoda said, I mean, clearly uh, that's usually what gets the attention. Um, but I think just um, just as bad and prominent, right, it's uh, children. So in the community, you will find that the cases that, that come up or when people privately speak to you, usually it's one of these two things um obviously less frequently i have come across you know situations where it's, it's all flipped and um and and the husband is a victim of abuse and this is uh, this is rare but it usually has a certain you know you can kind of stereotype it in a certain way so, so often when um you know the wife has 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 a kind of strong um uh, family network um, husband has has come over from abroad um you know doesn't have that um so in those kind of contexts as well as in other contexts you get you get men also reaching out for them it's different it's like 
it's a, it's expected that they should be able to deal with it, but you know, mm. but they can't, so they reach out. But overwhelmingly, like, like sister said, overwhelmingly, it's women and children in the com in the community, right? Uh, you know, putting aside um, the agencies that are looking into this issue and the, and the statistics and their particular focus and so on. Um, in the community, we have a serious issue of various kinds of abuse suffered by our sisters and various kinds of abuse suffered by um, our children. Mm. Now, you know, I, I, I need to get my, my head around this. In our religion, in the teachings of our prophet, peace be upon him, even within our culture, you know, everything points to the forbiddance and to, you know, the, 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 the gravity in wrongness of abusing those who are under our guide, that are under our care. Uh, whether it be his parents, whether it be his siblings, whether it be his children, whether it be his colleagues. whether it... So why? I mean, we sometimes focus too much, I feel, on the victim, and probably rightly so, and the, the kind of formats of abuse that they've come under. But has there been an investigation as to what is the mindset? What is the driving force behind the perp perpetrator? doing what they do. I mean, wh wh where does this come from? I don't understand it. I think, you know, there are various perspectives as to why this happens and different people with different sort of uh, ideologies or thoughts of points of view would think differently. But ultimately, at the heart of an abusive relationship is this idea of power and control mm. and the idea that the person, it's an all or nothing sort of zero-sum game. Either I'm in charge or I'm oppressed in the mind of a perpetrator yeah. and i think you can you know talk about psychological influences childhood trauma and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day you will have per uh, people children who have gone through abuse and they don't end up being perpetrators yeah. or you will have um people who have had perfect childhoods really nurturing family relationships that end up uh, perpetrating uh, abuse and I think it's really important to kind of for our purposes to really clarify the parameters that we're talking about in this country domestic abuse is defined as um, you know uh, a harm and uh, whether it's one instance or a or a sort of a series of uh, occasions where any form of violence quote-unquote, uh, and it could be physical, emotional, psychological, sexual, economic, that happens between um, a family unit or intimate relationships from the age of 16 and over. Anything under 16 is deemed child abuse. And so that's very important to, to clarify. So uh, it's... Um, I think we can, and it doesn't. It's not limited to a particular group of people or religion or class or anything. Unfortunately, in this instance, domestic abuse is very um, meritocratic and democratic. It can affect anyone from any age, does, from any background. Does an abuser realize that they're an abuser? I think they do. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, Absolutely, it's rare to be able to pin them down and be able to have a word with them. But when it has happened, I think they do. But they, in the moment they create justifications, right? Whether it's authority and power, um, she should listen to me, etc., or whether it's, you know, they, they, they feel less responsible because they feel like, you know, they, got, they, were, they were riled up so much that they, couldn't, they lost control, etc., etc. And often there is regret, but what we often find is that regret and then repeated yeah. uh, repeated abuse kind of go hand in hand so almost always the story especially in the beginning when it first starts and a woman is putting up with it and she wants to make her marriage work she wants to make her relationship work she often she often the the the, the basically she forgives and perhaps for some time forgets uh, in the beginning because of how profound the regret is afterwards right but then it happens again and again. And then each time there is the regret and there's the kind of almost a kind of punishment of the self, right? You even see things like that. Particularly, you know, I, I've uh, seen it in, in the cases in the Muslim community. But I want to come back to two things. One is, like, as, a, as an imam, I'm particularly interested in why this is happening in the Muslim community, right? And it is, 
we we can try to argue that this is universal and it is to a certain extent but obviously we like to think that our dean teaches us better right so 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 what's going on um so i think that's one thing that uh you know that's important and the other thing again there are there are different ways to talk about this we we can we can be technical and say let's talk in terms of definitions um but i like to at least understand it in terms of a, a culture of abuse and when i say culture i'm talking about generational cultures of abuse and among all of the different causes that we've got um one that it seems also very clearly present um is just generational acceptance of domestic abuse so um it's being perpetrated by sons because they because their fathers have have abused their mothers and it's and their fathers have been abusing their mothers because the grandfathers have been abuse, abusing their grandmothers and it's been going on like that and in in certain cultures it's very prevalent it's normalized isn't it and it's and it's normalized i i remember i remember by the way i mean you just reminded me i remember a, a friend of mine who um, in 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 defending himself or trying to defend himself he uh, he said that uh, it was his mother who uh, egged him on to uh, beat up his wife and yeah, uh, i found that yeah. totally astounding i didn't believe him at, uh, at the beginning but when i relayed the story to someone they said yeah absolutely it's not that's, that's... it's not uncommon at all it's not uncommon at all and um, again because because you know it's it's it could be that the psychology of the mum is that this is how my husband kept me in line because the idea is that uh, and this is where it all starts to get a bit muddled right the idea that you know it is the husband's part of the husband's kind of role is is to keep everybody in the family in line you know whether that is through words or in terms of proportionality and and, and, and again this is just trying to to understand the problem um the i mean how does it in terms of numbers or figures or percentages how does the muslim community fare among society let's say british society is an example like from you know my experience of working with survivors of domestic abuse it mirrors whatever the wider society is so there isn't we're not uniquely more likely to experience domestic abuse than anybody else or any other community but because islam is so clear as you said rightly about kind of the the gravity of this kind of abuse it we we are shocked by it and quite rightly so and and so i don't think we are we are overrepresented or underrepresented but i just think for us as a community we never think it's that bad because we should know better and we're muslims but unfortunately we are part of a wider trend in society that deems this kind of phenomenon to be acceptable and people it's a generational thing and a cultural thing regardless of whether you are a type of muslim or non-muslim it is assumed that there are gender roles and there are certain roles that a man needs to fulfill and there should be certain dynamics in a family um and if we steer away from them then something's wrong and we need to like steer the ship back in the right way which is unfortunate because in islam a healthy ummah starts with a healthy family and unfortunately our ummah is very very sick and i like to help people understand it in by pointing them to how widespread child abuse is in the community and when i when i say child abuse i'm not i'm talking about the full spectrum of it but in particular how prevalent in in many of our communities um uh violence against children continues to be prevalent not just you know it it was something of the past and now the government has banned it and things like that but it continues to be the problem um in homes um you know it was a massive problem uh, in institutions right in educational settings uh and you still will come across people saying well you know the government's now kind of stepped in and banned it but sometimes it's necessary and i remember once um speaking to to you know kind of leaders of the community imams and people like that um and i i so i speak about this this always pops up if i'm speaking in the community set, set, setting then um the issue of um of the the beating and smacking of children and I, i'm and, and again you know it's important to to clarify terms 
it is BT. It's not so much smacking. It's we're talking about serious Severe, yeah. brutality, right, against children, and you know, and I, I've 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 seen a lot of this firsthand uh, as a child myself, right, and um, so when I speak about this, people often kind of try to move the conversation move the conversation on by saying, well, this is now banned in this country. It's not happening anymore in Masajid and so on. Um, first of all, I don't think that's entirely true. First of all, but where I find it. Like and this is this comes back to this issue of like what happened to us as an ummah, you know? Like, aren't we supposed to know better? Doesn't our deen teach better? And this is where I, I I start to think, okay, something else is going on here. You know, there's something more fundamental that's broken. You know, like two adults, one feel one maybe there's there's you know there could be an issue of like they don't like one another and because adults can get along and they cannot get along, right? And that can lead to all sorts of things, but fathers and their children mothers and their children teachers imams and their students for me like that makes a lot less sense right and if that is something society continues to tolerate right then they would certainly tolerate you know uh, one adult um kind of abusing another adult because of the power dynamic right because you know over over here where you'd think children right the whole kind of rahma and things like that and who hates their own children do you, do you understand you know children anyway so so i so i'm speaking let's finish to finish that story because this contradiction is really important right so these are all imams and so on and so forth and all of them um have a role that they play here as in, in as imams and teachers and so on but they almost every single one has a role also in their country of origin they're they're over there. They're sit. They're figureheads, sitting as on the board of a madrasa, um, you know, on the board of a masjid. Uh, they're they're um, you know they're sort of a principal from a distance, right? You know, they have a kind of deputy head back home who who runs things, right? And despite the fact that they're trying to fob off the conversation here by saying the government's banned it it continues to be prevalent in every single one of their madrasas back home. And if we are one ummah, then protecting our children here and protecting our children over there is exactly Absolutely. the same duty. Absolutely. And the same weight and same importance. And, and that, that's how I, 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 I say to people, look, it's not gone. It's not gone. If the government hadn't banned it, right? If the government hadn't stepped in, and banned it or hadn't come down, if, if officers hadn't come down and there hadn't been these stories of people going to jail, et cetera, et cetera, it would have still been happening. That means there's something more fundamental that's broken. Can I just clarify one thing? You, you both have extensive uh, experience in this particular field. If a victim was to come forward, whether woman, man, child, was to come forward and to make a claim that they have been abused one way or another, um, how serious would that be taken? And how uh, positively would that be enacted on? I think that's a really, really important question. But also there's a lot of res different responses. You've got a criminal justice response. Mm. You've got a legal response. You've got a pastoral community response. Mm. And it's about what are we looking for? What is the, what is the survivor wanting, essentially? And so that's one. But also, statistics in this country have shown if you are from a, a black or minoritized community, you are more likely to wait longer to seek help than a white person or a white woman. So you will wait until 30 instances or of abuse before you pick up the phone and ask for help. Um, and also, the people that you will always ask first our friends and family. And that's why friends and family and imams like yourself and the community are so important because it could be your one chance of getting some help and support. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that we know how to respond when um, a survivor or a victim comes forward. And unfortunately, the response depends on who you get. Um, if you're looking for a legal response in terms of like, uh, um, you know, the police, it really is a postcode lottery. Some some police might come in and help. Some police might not. But um, and similarly with with the other responses that you might seek from, you know, agencies like social services or uh, you know the community. 
But regardless of that, when a woman seeks help, it's got to be so bad for her to ask because she is thinking about many things, not just her experience and the violence, but what it means for the family, what it means for the husband or the perpetrator. Because if you are a man who is not white, the response and the consequences for you as a perpetrator of domestic abuse who is not white is very, very different if you are a white man getting reported or identified as an abuser. And so you constantly see that women, if we're talking about in this instance about Muslim women, are ultimately also thinking about the consequences for their abuser and trying to safeguard their abuser. Because, you know, if you are a Muslim, you are targeted specifically by this by this society in a particular way and particularly in from a legal perspective. So you and you also think about your children. Will there be and the response is always exaggerated or more punitive if you are a Muslim person seeking support. So will these children be taken away? Will will these uh, will the husband be treated more badly, disproportionately? Will she get any support? And what about her community? Will they ostracize her and say you bought the police who are? inherently racist and Islamophobic so to she help might you. lose that network of exactly. support. Exactly. But so, also but also what will the children think? Because often the children the 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 the, the way the, the 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 direct kind of way in which the victim has experienced um, the violence. Children haven't they, they they might know that something is going on. They might be aware that there's something happening. They might not like it and so on. Um but they they often when it comes to that point you know where the victim has decided enough is enough and sometimes that that enough is enough point isn't because they've had enough of the violence they've they've often accepted that they'll put up with it for the rest of their lives if they have to for the sake of the family and their children but often they get to that point of enough is enough because something else has been added that the violence has been compounded by some other form of abuse right um you know, like recently I came, ac came across a ca case where after all of the, the emotional neglect and the abuse and, you know, the, the odd instances of violence and the, and, the, and the controlling behaviors and all of that, there was also a point at which the man decided to also move on, mm -hmm. right? You know, after all of that, he decided, oh, okay, you know, I can go look for, you know, a, a younger model, yeah. basically. Um, and that was the point. So, which means that had that not happened, then in spite, despite all of the abuse, you know, she would have continued. The setting might yeah, have continued. she would have carried on. She was willing to carry on for the sake of the family, for the sake of the children, right? But but then the conversation's really difficult because because to get to a point where the victim is able to say, this is what I want, right? It's really, really difficult, right? Because it's it's such a hard decision and often they're concerned about what are, what are the children... And the children, by this point, you know, it, it's not always two, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. Four the children could be 16, 17, 18, right? And they've got a mind of their own. They have a very kind of independent relationship with, with the person, who, with their father, in this case, right, who is also the abuser in this situation, right? So, so there's this triangle. But it's really interesting which is really when, complicated. You, you, we, when we talk about for the sake of the family, and we never, never talk about the perpetrator stopping the behavior for the sake of the family. Yeah. Because somehow there is this yeah. assumption that, oh, well, you know, he's a man. Yeah. This is how this they is are. What they do. This is what they do. You yeah. know, he's a bad apple. Um, whereas it's really interesting that the person who is being victimized is thinking about everybody else and the consequences for the family. Can, can I, I, true. I, I, I want true. to move on to this because this is extremely important. But before that, I mean, in terms of what you said uh, about the kind of response you get from whoever you're, um, you know, as a victim making the claim uh, to or at. So is it also adding to everything else, everything that you've talked about, you know, the, the consequences on the family, on the children, on the, on, the, on, the, on the social network and the like, added to that, the it's very, very likely that the claim won't be taken seriously or that um, the reaction and consequences will be totally different from what the victim wants or expects. 
is, is that a consideration? Absolutely. You've got to realize on the spectrum of abuse, um, you know, and I'm sure you have experienced this, the victim is completely cut off eventually um, from any support network mm. to the extent that um, they no longer trust their own judgment. So they think, uh, I'm, because they keep, keep hearing, you're stupid, you're thick, you don't understand, you're wrong. You'll blah, never blah, make blah. it on your own. own. You're with nothing without me, blah, blah, blah. And so if nobody else tells you anything different, you start to believe it. And so you think, am I, is this all in my head? Am I making this up? And so, but the, the stakes of seeking support are so high because also this the victim is also the expert in their own safety. And if they've been told, if you tell anyone, I will kill you, harm you, hurt the children, chuck you out, all of that stuff. I will tell social services. Very often immigration is used as a lever. If you're a woman who is on a spousal visa or your immigration is irregular, that is also used against you to keep you and control you. So you've got to re the stakes are so high and you've got this one chance and the response could be so bad that you end up either um, kind of me, uh, bet betraying the abuser to the extent that the repercussions are so severe that it's not worth asking for help or that you end up creating more problems down the line because of the involvement of everybody else and you have no control. At least, as you said, in that position when the wife was willing to put up with it because she was still had some sense of control in the sense that, you know, I can pacify him, I can look after the children, I can control the situation. But when there's an outside force, it's absolutely, like, there's nothing. Okay, let's, let's now talk about, um, well, if there is any remedies uh, or ways in order to counter at least the rise of this particular phenomenon within the community. You as an imam, uh, Shams, I mean, I'm pretty sure that in many of your lectures and many of your talks and many of your sermons, you address this particular issue. Is that, is that making a change? Is that making a difference? First of all, it's not very frequent. Um, how many times have we seen um, <coughs> domestic abuse being addressed on the member? Personally, uh, never. Right. <laughs> wow. Personally, never. <laughs> So, so, so there you have it. So I've addressed it uh, a few times. In fact, um, <laughs> recently a domestic abuse case came to, came to my attention. I was driving back uh, from the masjid and, and my phone just started pinging, right? And, 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 and I, I ignored it once, ignored it twice, and then the third time I picked up and it was a, a distraught relative who'd found out that, you know, that, that a, a cousin who'd got married a few years ago or suffering abuse and then then i then i got the full story right and um it was so violent um that you know i i it was thursday and the next day was juma um so whatever plans i had right you know it, this was the topic right so this has happened quite a few times in my own experience as imam but the thing is the, the truth is i haven't been imam for a long time you know as you know i, I was at Ibrahim college i was i was working in in an academic um setting i was imam before that um, but in all of that experience, the one pattern is that it's it's very rare for it to be addressed in in the member, and when it and there are no structures in place in masajid. Okay, first things first. Why is it so rare that it's addressed? Because we have a long list of issues to talk about. That, yes, <laughs> no, that, that that is it, right? You know, because and people are so, um, you know, and and also we overestimate what the member can do. Right, I don't think the member has all the as much power as people think it has. First of all, it's only a once a week opportunity. So if you think about it, you have, you know, um, fifty-two uh, also Jumaas in the year, right? So you have fifty-two opportunities to address where you have pretty much, you know, eighty, ninety percent of the community. What do you do, right? Now, Ramadan's here, for example, right? The whole of Sha'ban, the whole of Ramadan. You're just going to be speaking, you're going to be repeating the same hadith, the same verses, speaking about the same issue. There's no room for anything else throughout Ramadan. Ramadan enters, you're going to talk about the first 10 days, people are going to talk about the third, ten, the second 10 days, then they're going to be talking about the last 10 days, and etc., etc. So that's 8 out of 52 weeks gone. Hajj comes, right? That's another 4 weeks gone. All right, so that's 12 weeks of the 52 gone. 
um, then you know Christmas comes. You know, all you have all of these kind of dates in the year, right? You know, in 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 our masjid, for example, February. Um, you know, I, there were at least two khutbas on the fact that it's LGBT uh, History Month. There isn't really much left. You know, after you go through all of the calendar dates and everything and all of the Islamic dates and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, there, there's not that much. There's, there actually aren't that many weeks left. And in that those remaining weeks, let's say 30, right, you have an infinite number of topics to cover. Okay. That's in terms of logistics, but let me get to the point that I wanted to make. My main point is, is we overestimate the power of the member. I don't, I, w although that's useful, it is useful and it certainly needs to be utilized. It's not the solution. Is it an uncomfortable subject to address? Not really. I mean, imams are good at giving speeches, right? We just speak about it. It's not a big deal. You don't get too much no, blowback no, or pressure. No, I've never had blowback. I don't think people have a problem with the issue being addressed. It just doesn't get addressed because imams live in their own little bubbles, um, or it's, uh, there's just there's just too much congestion. You know, there's you got this one Friday, and you could speak about any number of issues. And in the, uh, what I've noticed about the masjid, right now that I've gone back into one, it's been a year that I've that I've that I've become imam again. In the masjid, I've noticed that the community demands that the topics that are addressed are directly in some way connected to the masjid. You know, it has to be about pure religiosity. There actually isn't a great demand for social issues. People don't want to talk, you know, it's like stick to the spiritual stuff, right? You know, to when you go to... And even in term, exactly. And even when you think of the function of the masjid, you know, I, I, to my surprise, right, people care more about the five salahs and who's leading them and are they being led and started on time you know etc etc then they care about how what the educational standards are of the madrasa that that, that which is the only other prominent service that the, that most masjids deliver right it doesn't even go from salah to the education of the children right you know social issues are off way kind of back there in the queue somewhere Right. So the imams are also under no pressure from committees, from their employers to address these issues. I was just going to say, but I think, you know, I I really hear what you're saying in terms of like the overestimated impact uh, and power of the mimbar. But uh, and I really understand that imams do um, do experience certain forms of pressures um, that uh, we assume that they you know, they are there to solve all problems. They have the answer to everything. They should be everywhere. They have no life. They're not allowed to have a life. They're not allowed to have a family. You know, we call upon them any time. There is no, like, working hours. Um, but but also, uh, I, do, I do feel that there is, you know, there is creativity in... Because I could address domestic abuse in all of those dates that you mentioned and I can find ways of embedding the message around equality and and uh, and uh, barakah and hasana and the sacredness of of uh, family relationship in a way that very directly links to Hajj and Ramadan and Shaban and all of that stuff. Um, but I think that's what you allude to is really interesting is the idea that the community wants all the spiritual stuff without the social stuff because I think we have we have turned our deen into a ritual. You go to the mosque, you do the prayer, and then you come out. Yeah, you've ticked there the is, box. Yes, there is no assumption that actually my Islam and my deen is my way of life. And so my social issues are very much my religious priority. And I think that's the that, and I think that's that that dissonance in our community that thinks the mosque is there for when I fast, for when I need to religious guidance. Of course, the imam acts this bridge between the social and the spiritual, and that's really, really important, and it's a hard job, and so I don't envy you. But I do think we do, we as a community assume that uh, religion is a thing that you do on a Friday, a bit like what we used to mock the Christians for. Oh, my religion is not I go on a Sunday to church. Well, actually, we have become that. We have become this kind of mechanical slot where we say, this is what I do on a Friday. This is what I do on a Saturday. This is what I, and all the other times I'm a professional or I'm a, 
I don't know, whatever it is that we live in. But I, I, but we need to equip our community, whether it's imams or families or whatever. You know, and the women's role in the community is huge. We may have, you know, women's role as informal alimas or informal sort of leaders within the community is really, really important. I mean, when we're talking about mosques, the first thing that comes to mind is how many of our masajid, we have about 2,000 throughout the country, how many of them actually have prayer spaces for women? I mean, that in itself is an issue. So um, to an extent, uh, even when you were trying to address these issues, you have a large chunk of society that isn't there. They're, they're not present. They've not been empowered by the message. Just to finish that thought, right? So when I say we overestimate what the member can do, I'm going beyond sort of the member's ability to just raise an issue, raise a flag, right? And I, you're right, you know, you. this is a tough one, okay? But, but in terms of, if you look at traditional Arabic wordings of khutbas, right? Sometimes they can squeeze in so many different messages because because hadiths can often be, you know, they're jawami'ul kalim, right? So they're, they're such comprehensive and concise uh, bits of speech. It's part of the miracle of the Prophet that you can squeeze in 10 hadiths on 10 completely different topics, right? In Arabic. And it all sounds beautiful, beautiful, right? It's really difficult to do that in English. Really difficult, right? I've thought about it so many times and it's really hard. I mean, you know, you, you can go from the, the beginning from the taqwa of Allah and usikum bi Allahi, you know, fi sirri wal alan and then you move on to salawat on the Prophet alayhi salatu on the Sunday. You can pick, you can squeeze in so much. So, that, that, but that's a challenge in itself and you, you've got 10 minutes, you know, you've got 10 minutes, you've got 15 minutes. Um, but what I mean by we overestimate the power of it is that it stops there. And let's face it, we've been talking about salah and punctuality in salah and iman and spirituality and reducing sin and etc. etc. all year round, right? It doesn't increase the number of people that attend the salah. The number of people that attend salah increases in masajid where there are additional activities and services specifically designed to bring people into the masjid. And this is what I mean about when mosques become beyond prayer halls exactly and become social hubs community hubs educational so, so my, hubs my, so. my sort of favorite kind of phrase here or word here is mas masajid need to be about services masajid need to deliver services to the yeah, community and the whole kind of this is what has to be the basis of the accountability of the committees this has to be reflected in the financial structures and their fundraising campaigns and everything mm -hmm. services if when you talk about services then you can start talking about what does the community need right and if the community has a problem with with domestic abuse in from a kind of from a completely kind of objective universal perspective which is the way i try to address it domestic we're talking about abuse in the home we're talking about you know women men we're talking about children and i like to it, i like starting the conversation from children because it makes it makes it easier to kind of to get a man to understand that look you got that wrong you'd think that the vast majority agree on the fact that yes. abuse of children is not is is not on it's, like, it's not on it's and you're not still on. doing it yeah it's like how how can we still be doing that when that when you know it's like do we have to put forward verses of the quran and hadith of the prophet to any human being right to argue that abuse of children isn't acceptable and yet it is like honestly, it's it's heartbreaking because I've seen it, yeah. right? I've seen it, and only by utter coincidence did I did I personally survive it, as in not suffer it, right? So for me, when I look at what's happening to women, and when these cases come to me, I think to myself, well, this community hasn't even been able to get that right. Of course, this is going to happen. It's not so surprising. It's just as painful to hear about it, and so on, but it's not as surprising. Right. So, again, we, it, you know, the masjid can't be about the member anymore. Right. It has to move on. Masajid have to deliver direct services. And when it comes to the only one that we have acknowledged universally, almost across all of the masajid in the UK, is we, we've acknowledged that we have a responsibility to teach children Islam. All right. So we do that. All right. We do that. And, you know, we do it well or. I don't know. It, it, it's it varies, right? I'm, I'm from an education background, so so it it's not great, right? You Let's have high say. standards. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, now other services, right? And here, masajid have to resist this urge to do things that are marketable, 
and start looking. You know, I, I, I love the fact that Masajid have food banks, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But okay, great, right? But please, you know, there's women are being beaten up at home and, you know, they're being financially abused and emotionally neglected and they need someone somewhere to go. People have all these mental health problems. They need counsellors. Youth, like you, all these problems with youth. In the inner cities, we have terrible situations, right? And Masajid have the one imam, this other imam, often somebody who doesn't understand the context at all. And, you know, and, and then there's children being taught and there's questions about that, you know, and and at the end of the day, Masajid are, the, 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 the annual report in the masjid is we've saved £30,000. Yeah. So it's been a successful year. So my point is, it's got to be, so the Masajid have to deliver services, Let's right? See. And he, that's where we can talk about how they can address, you know, abuse in the community. Absolutely. And, uh, le but let me move beyond the mosques and Masajid. In terms of... Um, um, we had a show uh, where we discussed the British Muslim civil society and uh, that report that was launched in Parliament was an incredibly impressive report about the depth, the width, the breadth, the breadth of, uh, of the Muslim community and their reach in all facets of life. When it comes to the, let's say, charitable sector or non-governmental sector, um, the the area which deals with abuse, domestic abuse particularly, is quite small in yes, comparison shocking. to yes. everything else. Shocking, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's in this country, um, if we move away from a Muslim community context, the donkey sanctuary gets more money than women's services. So you can tell, like, you know, there is a pattern here. There's a systemic pattern that says women don't matter families don't matter they're not the priority they're not you know you it's not nice to hear about violence against women but it's really easy to look after a donkey and raise money for it apparently that's fine so but i think in our community the uh, and it's something that i've always struggled with as somebody who worked in civil society is that we're very good we're extremely generous at giving money to people outside of ourselves. It's like we don't deserve the money. This community is too, you know, because we live in the West, maybe we are too rich, we're not needy enough. And uh, there is also part of that is a recognition that we actually have challenges. And that's really hard to recognize because maybe people don't want to know that there's a drug problem with Muslim communities and, and Muslim youth. People don't want to know that there is violence and degradation, there's abuse, all of that. So they kind of, you know, maybe there is this assumption that if we just don't talk about it, then it's not real. But the number of how many how many Muslim charities fund helpline for women to, for domestic abuse? How many fund refuge spaces? How many provide care um, in terms of like um, housing, in terms of counselling? These things are we don't touch. There's one Muslim organisation called the Muslim Women's Network UK that has a helpline, and they graft in order to get staff and it's mainly um, kind of manned or womaned by volunteers um, and so I think it's really really important question is why do we not feel that our money is worthy of the people here what is it about us that f that makes it easier to donate to an earthquake and of course of course it's really important but what is it that what is what are we not seeing? What is it that's making us feel that we're not worthy of, of the investment? Our messages are not worthy of the, the support. I mean, when, it's, um, it uh, concerns me greatly that um, whilst we're living in a, um, in a society where these issues are heavily regulated, they're heavily policed as far as we know, uh, the law... It seems to be on the side of victims of abuse of all sorts. Okay, now we have the wording, the definitions of various kinds of of, of abuse. I I'd hate to even imagine what goes on in contexts where there is less so. I mean, in countries that are probably Muslim dominated, uh, dominant in terms I of think population. About it all the time. It's it's I scary. think about it all the time because. Uh, I spent a year 
my final year of studies. Um, as you know, in, in the Dars al I mean, we, we have this final hadith here. Yeah. And I studied it in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I got to see you all at the age of 20. It's an eye-opener. And it was I an eye-opener. And, and obviously, you see, you, you, you've got to bear in mind that I, I studied in madrasas um, in the UK in the 80s and 90s. So I got to see a fair share of it here. And then obviously... By the I, way, you invoked the, a, a you memory know, that was deeply buried <laughs> um, and i'm 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 older than you I, it was during my 70s and i used to go to this uh, uh, this uh, sheikh at his home to learn quran and um, it, it's fascinating that it's all come back now um he would sit in front of us we were about four or five and he would have a um a, a cane just just sitting there and every now and then, anyone who would make a mistake as he would just reach to it and touch it. And that would get our hearts racing, you know, that mere him reaching out for the cane. It was, you know, emotional and psychological torment. <laughs> Brother Anas, I wish, I wish, you know, the people that I had, that, that I had encountered just did that, just that. It would be, it would be heaven. <laughs> Right. So, um, and I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it here. But, um, uh, and I, on the one, you know, on the one hand, you know, you see all of that. But on the other hand, I also feel like the dean gives you, you know, some sort of coping mechanism. But, but, but not so much the dean itself. It's not so much the content of the dean, but a loyalty to it. You know, it's like, you know, it, and. You know, what was really annoying when I reflect back is that it was all justified. You know, it was all justified using the deen. Um, and I later found out that a hadith were being used. And I later found out kind of in my senior years and after I'd gone back to reflect on it and, and look at it critically, that these were fabrications. Fabrications, absolutely. Right? Fabrications were being used to justify, you know, basically these brutal kind of beatings, right? And you can have the same conversation about justifications with regards to the abuse of women, um, you know, and so on, when there's no, there's no aspect of Islamic law that has anything to do with any kind of abuse scenario except for the discussion about oppression and dhulm and what the consequences of that are against the perpetrator. That's where kind of Sharia steps in. The Sharia doesn't step in anywhere else right it doesn't step in in uh 434 surah al-nisa it doesn't step in um in the hadith about uh about uh, uh about commanding children to perform salah you know and so on because none of that has anything to do with violence and abusive behaviors and controlling behavior and financial abuse and emotional and psychological abuse right you know and, and threats and, and an actual brutal violence you know uh children bleeding you know, and stuff like that, right? It doesn't go anywhere. Um, and I find it astonishing that it just missed us. You know, it's like it can that these things can even happen in a religious context. And that's what I mean when I say something fundamental, right, has broken in just our understanding of right and wrong and justice. And, and, and we have these terrible, terrible blind spots when it comes to the deen or when it comes to the sharia. Do you understand? We can give whole lectures on how long um, this should be and how long this should be and whether this is sunnah or not and, you know, and, and whether that should be above the ankle or not, etc., etc. You know, that's certainly not a blind spot, but somehow beating up women and children well, that's why, is a blind yeah, spot. That's why religion has become ritualized. It is much easier to talk about the length of your thobe then it is to look at the ethics of the Quran and of the religion, and so and and that's why it is. Um, and you you're probably less controversial to talk about that than you would about treating fellow human beings and talking about an intimate family setting where people think, oh, that's private. It's got nothing to do with me. I don't want to go there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So religion is instrumentalized. What would you do? Let's assume you have the nuclear button, as they say, in order to make <laughs> everything right. What would you do? I think my example is always the Prophet And that what is this idea that you need to work on a human level. You can have laws, 
You can have do's and don'ts. You can have education. Like you said, we've been talking about Salah for like ever since Salah was mandated, yet that doesn't mean more people. So it's not that people are not educated. It's not that people don't know. It's about this idea that there is um, this assumption that you have no choice, you have no control. And it's about saying, and you know, the prophet came and said, the first act of the prophet was to say, you're not burying girls anymore, when newborn girls. He didn't say don't cheat. He didn't say don't um, make sure you pray five times a day. He took the most radical thing that he could do as that as a starting point. And it was something with an intent of social justice. It wasn't about correcting. Of course, it's a correcting a behavior, but it is felt on a societal level. And it was an oppression. And he chose oppression to tackle first. And I think that's what we need to kind of keep remembering is the ethics of Islam is about maintaining that sense of um, the, the fitrah of equality, the fitrah of being good, doing good, experiencing good. And I think for me, what it is, it would be a coalition of, of forces. It would be our community institutions, our religious institutions, our educational institutions, where we come and talk together and work together on this issue so that it's not seen as Oh, go and see the imam about that. Or go and talk to the police. We all have a responsibility. Me as a mother has a I have a responsibility about educating my child. Me as a sister. Me as a friend. Me as a professional. Me as and and I think we we kind of find it easier to just um, kind of outsource the support to somebody else. But it's hard. It's a hard kind of, it forces us to look at who we are as people. And it's an educational, uh, an attitudinal, a transformational kind of process that requires a concerted effort from a multiplicity of people in society. Shams, you have a nuclear button. Nuclear now. button? Nuclear button. Oh no, I'd start with about 100 million quid. <laughs> That'll help set up some services, you know. Um, dangle it maybe to some of these masajid you can have some of this you know if you set these services up and you'd be surprised at how quickly people quickly respond, people respond to that to, it's, it's, it's so painful to say it's so painful to say but suddenly you would have give me a pot of money like that and suddenly you'd have women's shelters propping up inside the masjid right it will be inside the masjid committees would be like running, you know, to fill in the application form to set up these services. You know, all of a sudden our education would be outstanding and so on and so forth. You know, if we if we dangle so it's all the about money. money then. Um and sadly that's just who we've become, right? The other one but is with the, the other with, one with is the money, you can, obviously you need the vision, the you, understanding. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the money reco it requires the structures and the accountabilities and et cetera, et cetera. But nowadays all of that boils down to because look at every single service in the community that good people you know with vision are trying to set up what will other than charities when we spoke about that right what will they all tell you they'll tell you we haven't got the funds right we haven't got the funds and i think the reason for that is a because the donor mindset you know is wrong uh and as much as charities as much as there are wonderful some of these big charities you know the people who are running them are friends of mine right and i know they want to do the right thing you know, but they understand that donors aren't interested and they pander to the donors, right? And sometimes there isn't enough courage or there is a fear of the consequences if they go against the will of the donors, right? Because at the end of the day, money has to come in. So that's, that's you know, that's, uh, we've, we've seen that problem. But ultimately, uh, every single other service, necessary service area, you will, all of the projects will tell you, you know, we're struggling. We haven't got funds. Jazakum al That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We're done.